Welcome to another episode of In the Name of Service, a podcast committed to sharing the untold stories of those who selflessly serve. Each episode features an interview with men and women who have been called to a variety of service-focused roles, such as the military, law enforcement, ministry, volunteering, and more. You aren't likely to know the names of the individuals you meet here, but our hope is by the end of our time together, you'll not only know their stories, but possibly be inspired to write your own in some way. Humble in nature, but strong in character, these everyday men and women showcase what it is to truly be a servant. We're glad you're here. Now here's your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. As a United States Army veteran and operational psychologist, I've spent my career working with military and law enforcement units, conducting in-depth interviews with hundreds of individuals who are hoping to earn their place on high-risk, high-performing teams. In most cases, they've already put in years of grueling physical and mental work just to get a chance to serve and sacrifice more. And that type of selflessness is special, and I feel worthy of recognition. While each person's story is unique, and every path to service different, their goals are similar. To do something more, to be part of something bigger, and to make a difference. These difference makers were the catalyst behind this podcast, and it's my privilege to share their stories with you. Today, I get to introduce Ashley Wendell. So he and I met at a an Air Force unit in North Carolina, and we were kind of like um, passing ships. You were there much well, a few years before I got there, and yeah. then you you left several years before I left. But we stayed in touch um, mostly through the newsletter. I wrote this monthly newsletter, and yes. it was like personal, professional, organizational development type of themes. And when you left, you're like, keep me on that. And then I would hear from you every once in a while, like, oh, I moved again. Like, here's my new yes. email address. Yep. So I knew and I respected this so much about you is that you were always looking out for the people that you were working with and you're always trying to like enrich you know their lives and I'm sure in other ways as well but that silly little newsletter was just one of those ways so actually yes, it was tell us tell us a little bit about yourself because I didn't even mention like um, what you did in the Air Force or anything like that yeah so um, I'm not like some of the previous guys you've had on from the, the organization. I'm a support person. I did vehicle maintenance through most of my Air Force career. And then I finished the last three and a half-ish years as a first sergeant. Um, I was born and raised in Pennsylvania, right on the border of Amish country. It was kind of uh, a thing later on in life that I would use to like mess with people. Because they'd be like, <laughs> oh, you're from Pennsylvania, you're Amish. So I would run with it. I'd be like, yep. At Rumspringer, I left the the Amish community. I used to be Jebediah, whatever, and people <laughs> would, I would have them going for a while, thinking that I was Amish. Like I had all the horse and buggy stories. I had all the other things, and it was just, it was good fun. Um, my dad actually grew up on a farm, and my mom was uh, from the south, and they met up there in Pennsylvania. So it was kind of like, this is great. Um, when it comes to it. Uh, I always wanted to be in the Air Force, or not the Air Force, but the military in general. My uncle was in the Army, so when I was a little kid, I remember going to the airport when we actually used to be able to do that, and watching him get on the plane and fly to Korea for his uh, assignment. And he went native, so to speak. He stayed in Korea for like four or five years. 
never came back. He was just in Korea. And uh, he was that kind of catalyst for me to do something else outside of just growing up in your local area and kind of hanging out. Yeah. Um, then over time, I just went from wanting to be in the Marines or this or that. And when I learned about pararescue the last two years of high school, I was like, cool, that's what I want to do. Like, sounds fun. And uh, apparently swimming is a big part of that. And I underestimated <laughs> my abilities. So I uh, took the pass test twice, failed the swimming in basic, ended up in uh, doing the vehicle maintenance thing. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of fortunate with basic. Uh, my instructor was a pararescue pipeline uh, rollback. He had gotten hurt. So he became an instructor while they were recovering and doing all that stuff. And I met him years later at the unit so when cool. he successfully completed the pipeline and everything. So wow. it was pretty neat. Yeah. That's very neat. And I was jealous of you guys because you say vehicle maintenance, people might think trucks. No. You guys get a variety of experience on really exciting, yes. quote unquote, vehicles. So, um, when I joined in 2002, um, I didn't know what I was getting into. At the time, I was a heavy construction mechanic. So, it was just a lot of heavy equipment, uh, forklifts, and snow removal, and things like that. Yeah. Um, got lucky. Got to Lake and Heath, first duty assignment choice was what I wanted, and that's where I got to go. So I was fortunate in that regard, because uh, I played rugby in high school, wanted to play rugby in England, and why not? And over time, I learned about the unit from talking with people. Uh, one of my mentors, he hooked me up with the ST unit in Mildenhall, and I would mm -hmm. go over there and do PT with them and talk to the guys and try and figure out how to cross train, because I was still pursuing that. Yeah. And when it came that, hey, it's not going to happen, I was like, okay, how can I then do what I want to do, but do it as a vehicle mechanic? And I always found those opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, the stuff we got to work on, it was a lot of ATVs, dirt bikes. Uh, I was into the maritime side, and mm. I'll get to that a little later as well. But, um, Definitely a different experience because we got to go all the fun things. We got to go on all the trips right. and everybody needed a vehicle mechanic for something. Absolutely. <laughs> so. All the time. What are, yeah. let's go way back first and then we'll okay. press fast forward a little bit um, to hear more really about your Air Force experience. But what do you believe are a few things from your childhood? that helped shape you into the man that you are today? So I'm going to default with my parents. That's like a huge aspect of it. Yeah. Um, my dad, uh, he's still a Mason. So he would be waking up early in the morning, going, setting foundations for houses. And it's kind of, I guess, metaphorical <laughs> uh, because that's the foundation he set for me. Yeah. Is hey, I'm going to wake up, you're going to work. So I would be on the job site in my early teens, helping do these things, carrying blocks, setting up scaffolding. And then as my education progressed in high school, uh, I didn't really have a good academic experience. I barely graduated high school, uh, didn't take the SAT. 
And when I had scheduled to go and take the SAT, I didn't wake up, didn't go. He came home <laughs> and he dragged me out to the job site. He's like, no, man, that's not happening. Yeah. So doing the masonry thing, it helped build a lot of strength. And then being ahead of the game, because when the masons are laying their blocks, they don't want to stop. So you have to kind of forward think, okay, cool. They're on this wall. They're going to be running this way next. I need to have a hundred blocks set up before they get there and they can move pretty quick or they're running out. So I need to go back over there, stock up blocks and then run back to get my stuff still going. So that way I can keep the whole flow of the job. Um, so that was kind of like a crucial aspect. I'd say that was an unintended thing that benefited me later is hard work and getting ahead of things and doing right the first time made it easier um my mom she was a huge uh inspiration for some of the things i got into later especially the sewing stuff we'll talk about um but she was always just a listener i would always have these crazy ideas crazy dreams and thoughts of what i wanted to do and she'd just listen and go okay sounds good um they both encouraged me to play sports I never found a sport that I really enjoyed. I played ice hockey, played lacrosse, did wrestling, did rugby, baseball, soccer, and I just I bounced around. I never got to anything until uh kind of high school was when I was like, okay, wrestling because it'll get me physically fit for whatever comes next, and rugby because again that same aspect of hey, these are going to teach you how to uh cope with pain and kind of handle aggression because you need to be aggressive, but then at other points you don't need to be aggressive. So it was all kind of just me looking further ahead and those things all kind of helped benefit me in the end. Yeah. Yeah. How did you decide to finally like go for it? I know you mentioned earlier you heard about pararescue in high school. Was that what brought you to the Air Force originally? Um, yes and no. I started doing Civil Air Patrol as well. So that okay. was a uh, an auxiliary of the Air Force. And I did a couple of different outdoor training events with them that was pretty enjoyable. And I was like, ah, sure, why not? Like, it kind of makes sense. And the pararescue aspect was just kind of like the challenge that I think everybody looks for. And although I didn't become one, I got to work with some really great guys who were pararescuemen and some of them, I think I could still get to call friends. So, right. Oh, I'm sure of it. (laughs) What would you say? I know asking you about your military experience, that's a huge question because Mm -hmm. it is half your life. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But you're recently, or you're you're kind of on the transition out from, you know, being a a veteran or a military member to a quote unquote civilian. Um, As you reflect on all of your experiences, what, what stands out most? There was, I think at every different assignment, I had something to kind of stood out and then kind of prepared me for the next thing unintentionally. Um, Mm -hmm. I had mentioned that on one of your posts. Um, So bumping it all together, I had a lot of great mentors throughout my career and they were individuals that listened to me 
and then figured out how to help me. And that was going to the ST and doing the PT sessions with them. Uh, when I was in Kansas, I had mentors, uh, maybe not so much as active now as then, but they were like, you're, you're fit for this job. Like the two, four had an advertisement out at the time and they were like, you should apply. Here's the information. Um, to then not being able to get there due to administrative stuff, going to another assignment, finding more people along the way that helped kind of prepare me. Um, one of my mentors, Kelly, he was a guy that looked at me and said, you're going to be here. You're probably not going to deploy because tag P's don't take their vehicle mechanics. Like they do radio guys. You're going to go to college. And I was like, I don't want to. And he's <laughs> like, you're going to college. You're going to do school. Like, if I have any say in this, this is the standard and expectation. And I'm like, cool. So I went to Scott. I started going to school like begrudgingly, but those all paid off later on for a lot of everything else. Yeah. Um, getting to the unit, that was just a whole bunch of experiences that they were all great and amazing in so many different ways. One of them that stands out, that's just because he was on the show previously, Woody. Um, was doing underway training with him at the beach. And one of the other guys I had met at Jumpmaster School, they got me on the training with them. So we were doing uh, T-Duck and K-Duck iterations off the coast there into the ocean. I'm a vehicle mechanic. They just happened to like that I was very proactive. I was a hard worker. And they're like, hey, you want to jump out of the helicopter into the ocean? <laughs> and I remember just like, uh, and Jelly was there too. Uh, Jeff yeah. Larson and like it was cool to see people recognized talents and abilities and then right. kind of rewarded people right I mean they don't care they're like we jump out of helicopters all the time but for me I'm like this is cool like yeah all right huge so different instances like that uh a couple random near-death experiences kind of would help realign me with some stuff yeah um so there's a lot of different things that kind of just came together over time. And it's hard to just put my finger on like any one of those instances. Yeah. When you say realign, like those, those experiences that brought you closer so, to death than you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my retirement officer was Jay-Z. She was also there with us at the unit for a bit. And uh, her and I met in Las Vegas and, bombs malfunctioned those things blew up in a place they shouldn't have and it kind of caused everybody to get a bit of a pucker factor but i found myself like okay cool i'm back in the bible reading the bible again i haven't done this in a while um so things like that is realigning to maybe i should check what i'm doing and where i'm at in life um, not necessarily those you know experiences that you said were kind of uh, near-death experiences but how did having those experiences realign you? So uh, the faith aspect, it was getting back into reading the Bible because when something like that happens, you kind of take a, take a step back and go, okay, what just happened? And is this a sign like I'm doing something wrong and should realign where I'm at and kind of look at, am I making the best use of my time? Yeah. Um, everything from 
relationships and how you may have been interacting with some people or even just your goals and priorities. Uh, that was kind of instances for me, at least in my instance, uh, just kind of stepping, stepping back, taking a look at where I'm at and kind of do I need to adjust? And if I adjust, how am I doing so? Yeah. And uh, sometimes it was no drinking. Sometimes it was, I need to put miles back in and start running right? or, uh, going back to the gym or eating healthier. You can take any one of those things, uh, being more courteous, even just to strangers, because you don't know how those one time interactions are going to be in your last moments if you happened. So right. just things like that really kind of changed for me or would be the, the pause. Yeah. When you take uh, all of your service, and, and I believe you're still serving, so we'll talk about that, but yeah. how would you describe, because there's a lot of sacrifice. Um, I know yes. you and I have talked about it in previous conversations. Um, there is a lot of, of sacrifice made in order to serve in the way that you do and the amount that you you did with the organizations yeah. that you did. Um, and that's, um, it's good to talk about that, I think, but also the flip side of that is like the reward, you know, of, of service. Yep. And how would you describe that piece? So when it came, when it comes to the service aspect, it was sacrificing a lot of personal wants and desires at times Yeah. to uh, accomplish whatever the organizations that I worked for at the time needed. Um, other times it was helping other people achieve something when you probably could have just as well won a quarterly award or won some other type of award or position. Um, but putting aside your own, again, personal desires and working to help the other people, um, because maybe they need that leg up more than you do. And it also affected a lot of my relationships. Um, Early on, it was kind of an immaturity and not being experienced in how to handle some of those things. And later on, it became uh, too mission-focused. It was too much about, I need to do this for work because right. that's what they're telling me. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely not close to any of my brothers or sisters. Even with all the stuff going on technology-wise, we never really stayed in touch like some other people I know do. Yeah. I've been closer with my mom and uh, my grandmother before she passed during this time uh, than I have my father and my grandparents. So it's it took some relationships and strained them. It took other ones and kind of grew them. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the reward some of it was selfish for me as a person because mm. i got to achieve something i got to do this opportunity right. right or having that satisfaction of uh especially at the unit going through and doing training events with people and then mm -hmm. them being able to go and do something real world right was huge right because like it made everything that you've been doing worth it Right. Not to say all the other things aren't worth it, but 
it's a more tangible impact compared to when I was a vehicle mechanic working at a fighter refueling base and not aligned with any of the combat fields. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because all you do is you see jets take off and come back, but when you actually have the tangible impact of helping the TACPs do their stuff to get ready for a deployment and having their equipment, it's not sexy, but it's like, cool. You guys got to do it. And again, with the guys that we worked with, it was just, you wanted to give everything and you didn't care about all the other aspects because that's what mattered the most. Yeah. Um, and it definitely contributed to, uh, the divorce that I experienced mm -hmm. and uh, that can't, cause it can't just be blamed on one person. It was a selfish thing in me at that time for the duration of my uh, time at the unit where I was very work focused and selfish right. in that regard. I'll, yeah. I'll easily admit that. Right. Yep. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been yep. definitely the perpetrator, <laughs> you know, on uh Yeah. <clears throat> in that kind of relationship dynamic. So you've, you've been kind of, at, this happens right in the, in the air force or in the military in general, like when, when high performers or, or bright individuals that also care about people are identified, they're put into these leadership roles really. And all of it's like, um, just because we think you're a great person, you're a hard worker, you're not exactly uh, groomed or trained uh, for these yeah. roles, and then you get into them um, with really great responsibilities that you you don't necessarily feel ready for. How that this has happened to you because that's the type of person yep. you are. How have you gone about navigating um, those roles? Um, within the unit, I know definitely within my section that I worked at, I kind of rubbed some people the wrong way um, because my perspective was different than theirs and kind of how the trajectory of our section should go. Um, and at times it was quit being a jerk to them or not being rude. Cause I have, uh, I have an uncanny ability, I guess, to kind of be a little too blunt and speak my mind. And that kind of is off putting. So I would recognize, I can't just say what's on my mind. Um, and that especially became true later on when, I went from a small section to me and another master sergeant running a section of nearly 100 people, civilians and military, and you can't just speak your mind openly right, right. because you're the head of that organization and they're going to look at you and be like, is that acceptable or not acceptable? And you can kind of ruin your position as a leader. Um, so, yes, there's times where I was good. And there's other times where I just didn't get along with people and it kind of degraded our ability to function. Um, later on, when I became a first sergeant, it wasn't like something I aspired for. It was just an opportunity. I was bored. I was like, I can't, I don't see myself doing this anymore and being satisfied. And when it came to it, I was better prepared because now I have to interact with all kinds of people, people right. I don't like people that you can't show favoritism to, but you want to make sure they're successful. And in the instances of discipline problems, people that they made bad life choices, not just once, but repetitively. And 
you couldn't be a, a jerk to them. You had to be understanding and empathetic. So it was definitely everything that prepared me for that job as a first sergeant, even though it's something I wasn't looking forward to. And when I got given that responsibility, people saw that I was capable more than I recognized in myself. Yeah. So. So you you learn as you go, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. And, and reflect on past lessons. Yes. And that was a crucial aspect. There was a lot of uh, first sergeants or shirts, as the Air Force calls it, that they didn't have anything but their job coming up. They never did any other duties. They never got in trouble. They were always kind of the adored airmen. And some of them just in meetings we would have, and I'm not knocking anybody, right? This is just what I saw. They would be so far detached from what an airman goes through because they yeah. didn't get in trouble. Right. They didn't push the boundaries. They didn't step off into the gray area and kind of do things that they knew they shouldn't do. But if it accomplished the end of the mission, like they don't understand that. So when it came to advising each other, their perspectives were very narrow. And it was just like, it, it was kind of eye-opening with regard how other people's experiences were uh, not as challenging, I guess, or not as opening. So. Yeah, it just comes down to those experiences that you have and that we as individuals have. That's what kind of makes us for that next position. Um, and I got in trouble a lot, both uh, never being caught type of trouble. Yeah. But also, like, <laughs> here's the paperwork, here's the the ramifications of your actions. And it was, it was those things, like, when the airmen would come to me, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, okay. And Try they say me. it. And I'm like, yeah, I can believe it. Because I did it. Like, yeah, man. Yes. I just didn't get caught. Right. And it wasn't out of pride that I would say that. But it was just, it was a different time. You know, 2002 to 2006 technology wasn't what it was years later yeah. so like we still had the the one shot cam uh kodak cameras you know right where right. you would then take the, the, the so yeah it's you didn't take the picture while you were doing something to post it on the internet to where everybody saw it um but it taught but no, you grace yes <laughs> it did because not only did I have those experiences, but how people handled me in those experiences, they weren't uh, overbearing. They weren't brutal. They were just honest. Yeah. And that accountability and the expectation was all you really kind of needed to know the standard moving forward. Right. Um, so, Yes. Again, it's not bragging. It's just those were my experiences. I made poor choices. And sometimes it was more my conscience that got a hold of me. Other times it was just the system. So, yeah. You, I, I mean, I want to say, especially as a, um, in your last role, but probably all throughout your service, you experienced a number of very difficult circumstances, like things yeah. beyond comprehension um just 
a lot of tragedy and, and pain. How have you learned or how are you learning that these are best processed? Like these things, we can't stop them from happening sometimes. So, yeah. Um, the biggest one was the amount of people that I knew. And that doesn't mean like we were close friends, but like I knew them, we had interacted. Um, I think it's roughly seven or eight people that I know that have actually killed themselves, both right. civilian and military. So yeah. throughout my 20 years, that's a lot. That's a lot of people um, for an entire lifetime. Yeah. And that's definitely, it's a lot of introspection or reflection and then talking with the right people. Yeah. Um, and I didn't talk with the right people until North Carolina. Yeah. Because uh, there was a stigma. The chaplains in the big Air Force were kind of weird. They were always older, like grandpas, and you just, you never saw them. Um, but having chaplains and the social workers and the psychs like yourself available to us at the unit, it made it easier to talk through experiences that we were having or had had and just kind of getting a a clearer picture of how to move forward or how kind of how this is going to change me or develop me which are kind of um so taking the time to reflect on it personally for me would be journaling i would when i was in the bible i would be doing devotionals on a daily basis and i would have a journal time or everything that was running around in my head i would just put out into this notebook yeah. And sometimes it was just a couple lines and sometimes it was three pages and it's like, it was amazing at how I would feel. Um, having again, the proper resources of professionals helps a lot uh, because they know how to ask the questions and talk with you, not at you mm -hmm. and guide you, which is crucial because you're, you may be experiencing some of these thoughts or feelings for the first time. Right. And not having any idea of how to cope or manage them, it it's like, okay, cool. I know I can do this now. Um, I know stopping, breathing, or doing any of these other centering things will help me figure out how to approach this problem or how to address the issue. Um, and I guess this is where I could say this part is yeah. even with all that training and experience, there's still going to be a point where you're going to find yourself down and out. And right. I've reached that point, even right. with all the people that I knew, um, I did try and kill myself. And I had gotten to a point where I was just unhappy, depressed, and the relationship was turning south. Right. And I thought the easiest way to resolve all this was by shooting myself. And yeah. it didn't happen. So for those reasons, whatever they may be, um, but I had all the answers. I knew all the resources. I had right. been around. Right, yes. And in that moment, um, it's easy for us to say something afterwards. And I'm going to go back a bit because the first few people that I knew that did kill themselves, I was like, that's bullshit. That's why are they being a coward? Like you, you had those, those feelings, um, but you don't understand what they were going through. You don't understand that moment where they made that decision to do what they did. Right. And 
it was it was awkward for me because of where I was at professionally. And personally, it was kind of like another wake-up call. It was right. like, you need to unfuck yourself. Forgive me. Um, and you need to kind of start doing the things that made you happy and healthy to get resettled. Um, but sometimes that isn't enough either, and you need space. And I ended up in Korea uh, a little while after that incident. So having space to then navigate is also a huge thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it gives you a different clarity, a different perspective on how to think through whatever you're going through. Let me ask so you again, this. It, yeah. You had experienced previously reaching out for support and it being helpful. And in your mm -hmm. head, you knew what you should do feeling the way that you felt, but what kept you kind of locked up? What kept you prisoner? Just the thought of like, I've been here. I've done this. Uh, I've talked to enough people. Nothing's changing. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like hopelessness. Yeah. And okay. that's, again, it's depending on how you want to look at it faith wise or whatever, like it's yeah. your own self prison or it's the, the enemy playing tricks like it's right. whatever yeah um but it's just where i ended up right i just right. it wasn't right. planned it wasn't like this is what i'm going to do it's just of course yeah cool i'm tired of this let's right. just and when that happened it gave me a, a pause because nobody would win right the the impact would be far greater to so many other people that I loved and was held near and dear with, and my daughters would be absent. My influence, however far it is now, right. um, but it's still I have an influence. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's the crucial thing that kind of looking at it was you're just a dumb, you're being dumb, dude. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, let's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, what's next? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's talk about, so it was gradual and subtle, yeah. kind of, um, like, as the roller coaster goes in, like, the ups and the downs, mm -hmm. uh, but it can catch you off guard. And yeah. what do you think are a few signs, like, that you're not doing so well, and maybe you should take action now instead of letting anything hold you back from doing that from reaching out yeah so looking back it's not being too proud yeah. i know that was one of the biggest hurdles yeah. for me and even getting help early on um and understanding that like you're allowed to feel upset or sad about some things yes and maybe you need to find somebody you can talk to because you're drinking buddy or your running buddy or somebody may not be that right person. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that because we surround ourselves with people that we want to be like or that reinforce who we are. They don't have that outside experience or knowledge to kind of help you look at it in a different light. Okay. And that's the crucial thing with all of our problems. Mm -hmm. And 
other times it is just looking at it and saying like, well, I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not going to the gym anymore. I'm not doing these other habits that made me feel good. Yeah. Why did I stop? Right. Um, and it's easy to do stop working out. It's easy to stop running or doing the dietary thing because we get busy or other aspects of life, uh, take over for that time. And then it's just easy to say, I'll do it tomorrow. And then the next day it isn't any better. Right. Um, so looking at what your habits are and kind of, Oh, wow, man, it's been a 48 weekend and I've been feeling down and out and I haven't showered. That's probably an indicator that, you know, you're not feeling happy for some reason. Right. Um, but it's just little things that you, you rely on, I guess but then you don't pick up on until you're a week or two or months later. And you're like, Oh wow. I haven't done that in a while. I forgot how that feeling is. Right. Yeah. Let's shift gears quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So you have now created this incredible business. Uh, Tell people about it and what you hope, that it brings to the world all right so this was by accident that it kind of grew into what it is i love Um, it even more just because of that yeah so monkey collective is actually i don't know if i can say offspring or maybe it's still part of what i uh many years ago i had it as a separate page on facebook where i didn't have it attributed to me i would write some of the thoughts and feelings that I had regarding people or experiences I had up on there. And uh, a couple of them were, uh, I guess, a homage to mentors or at the time, the woman who I was seeing and then later married and then now divorced from. Um, Experiences that I had in my travels. uh, Because when I was in the Air Force, I didn't, I didn't, rest there were times where i would travel and i was all over the place backpacking in south africa or everywhere so i would retell these stories and some people would like oh wow this is cool like the way you write and what you write about is that and i stopped i got rid of it delete i still have the the information somewhere but it was always like something i wanted i just didn't know what i was going to make it um i get when I was in North Dakota, I got gifted a sewing machine from another first sergeant because uh, I did sewing with my mom growing up and also in high school. And it was one of those, it's a happy place. So I made some stuff for my kids. I made a few things for some other people. And then when I got to Korea, I took the sewing machine with me. I started sewing again. There were times where I would be completely drunk, just middle of the night sewing going crazy sewing up a storm (laughs) weren't the weren't the prettiest products um but what i did was uh the airmen that i had in the my medical group at the time some of them really stood out to me and i don't think it wasn't a favoritism thing it was more like hey you're not getting recognized for what you did this is me saying hey i I see what you're doing yes yeah and they would they would look at me and be like, "You made this?" I'm like, <laughs> "I know it's not the prettiest, all right." Like, 
But what it also in turn did is those airmen uh, were super grateful. Like it changed them in a bit too. And I get random text messages and they would send me emails because they would go to different places. And Hey, I still have my llama. And I'm yeah. like, awesome. And it happened the other day. One of the guys I had reached out to and we were talking. He's like, hey, it's still here. Like it's up there with all the other important <laughs> things. And I'm like, that's so, so it's good cool. in that regard. Yeah. Um, but I use Korea as a practice session. So I started doing things for, like I said, the people I knew from my unit, uh, fellow first sergeants I gave them to. And then I offered up a couple commissions. People sent me some of their uniforms they wore on deployments or wherever during their time in service. And I turned it into llamas, bear, monkeys, like, and I would send it back to them for a small fee. Uh, I get here to Arizona and I'm like, cool, what am I going to do with my time? I'm going through a divorce. I'm by myself. I got this thing. So I started doing it more and more. Um, and the purpose wasn't for me to make money or make a name for myself. It was more, how can I have fun? Do something that people will enjoy. Yeah. And then take some of that money, reinvest it back into it, but also give it to other organizations that can right. use it. Love it. So I would do small batches and sell them over Instagram. And then when I finally got a website, I did it that way. But after every one, I would say, hey, I donated a couple bucks. Right. And there was a few times where people were like, you donated way too much. And I'm yeah. like, that's cool. <laughs> that's your opinion. Congratulations. <laughs> um, and it drives my girlfriend nuts because she's run and managed her own businesses and other things. And she's like, you're poor. Don't be giving it away. And I'm like, but it makes me feel better. And that's what matters. That is what matters. <laughs> and it makes me so, feel better too. Just seeing it. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I love it. And it's so inspiring. And like, yeah, I want to be like that, you know? So it's, people ask me, they're like, why don't you do a monkey? I haven't found a monkey pattern I like. The one I was using, <laughs> I kind of got disappointed. And they're like, well, why do you call yourself monkey collective? Why isn't it llama collective? And I'm like, because monkeys always have like a special place for me because I'd always see them in my travels, like just being monkeys, being, you know, orangutans, everything. Um, but also in a subtle sense, like they have their troops, they have their little communities and they take care of each other. Yeah. And the collective aspect at first, when I started it with my writing years ago, it wasn't supposed to just be me. Like it was supposed to be a collaborative thing that people would fall into. Right. And in a way it's it's still that so it's just in a different way like i totally I've see that part yes i've connected with so many people that yeah. we collaborate on and do things yeah that the network of uh support and experiences and coming across people that have had bad moments like myself maybe right. not to that point but they've gone through some things too and they found sewing and it's like cool like I never thought that I'd have uh friends in Ireland, England, yeah. Germany, Australia, yeah. and yep. all the places in the states, but yeah. Yeah, and I love this because you never knew what kind of picture was being yeah. weaved in the background 
but you had to hold yeah. on to see it. You had to hold on and you did. Yes. And it's like, it's just becoming more and more beautiful and incredible. Um, yes. But you didn't know it. And you just had to have faith that if you just hold on, <laughs> right. That, yeah. and just keep doing, like you said, the things that you feel called to do and connect with people and, and serve people and listen to people and see people and recognize them, just be human, um, that it would grow into something. And I don't know if I cut you off there, but no, you're, I'm just, okay. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to have all the places that people um, can find Monkey Collective in the in the show notes. Um, okay. I have one last question for you. Yeah. Let's say that someone out there is connecting with what they're hearing in, in your story, Ashley, and they, too, have a desire just to, to serve, um, but maybe they don't know where or how to get started. What would your advice be for them? That's, uh, I'm not going to say it's a hard one, but it's, it's, we don't know where we're going to be or what we're doing is going to have that impact. Right. Um, so just be open to opportunities and find something. Yeah. That's, I guess the biggest thing is find something that you want to serve in and, have that exposure because you don't know who you're going to meet or the experience you're going to have that's going to get you to the next few things that you're really meant for. Right. Isn't because it's not going to be one thing, right? No. It's going to be it's going to be all these things over time and it's you never know when it's going to happen. So you kind of just go about everything and keep doing what you're doing and it'll right. happen. Yeah. It, yeah. So All right, you heard it here. Be open to opportunities and have faith in the process that yes. you are, that the experiences that you are having are shaping you for not just one thing, but like multiple things in the future. I think yeah. some people, um, it is, it can be very hard um, if you're just talking about like purpose in life or, you know, a calling. And I, I have gotten questions, especially since starting this podcast, like, that's my problem. I just don't know what it is. And it's like, that's right. You can't know. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to keep going. You got to keep doing. Nope. And just for today, I bet you know something you can do today. Me right now? What? Well, no, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just no, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you got me like, oh crap. Um, Did I forget yeah. something? <laughs> no, because honestly, who would have thought like when we first interacted at the debt that you would be doing a podcast almost like a half a decade or so later right right like no one it's including yeah. myself <laughs> i still don't believe it <laughs> it's but no, i hope it's it good. blesses the five people that listen to it <laughs> yes and that's um what i like about this is that you're bringing a bunch of different people from different experiences that yeah. aren't well known they're just right. average people yeah, and I want so. to tell you and everyone, I've been encouraged to um, to reach out to maybe some people who are more in the limelight, and um, that is just not what this is about. Yeah. It's not. So this is about that every single person listening 
does have a calling on their life and it looks all kinds of ways and yeah. these stories just encourage you to keep going and keep mm-hmm. keep running after it because you have value uh, right now where you sit um there's all kinds of potential and you just have to believe it and i hope these stories um help people believe it and mm-hmm. just keep taking action so i agree Ashley, thank you so much. Um, yes, thank you very for much for your courage today and coming on. Yep. And everyone's going to go check out Monkey Collective. And yes. um, <laughs> yeah, until next time. Thanks for all you've done and all you continue to do. No, thank you very much for your time, Barb. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another incredible episode of In the Name of Service. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. And of course, feel free to share with those you feel would like to be inspired. Have a difference maker in your life that you'd like to see featured? Reach out to Dr. Barb Thompson at in the name of service at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.